Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart, express yourself to art, and show the world your heart, express yourself to art. And welcome, you're listening to Art on the Air on WVLP 103.1 FM and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. This is our weekly program covering arts and arts events in Valparaiso and throughout Northwest Indiana. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City. Aloha, everyone. We're your hosts for Art in the Air. Our theme music you heard is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Underwriters for Art in the Air are Valparaiso University's Brower Museum, regional art patron Mary LeVan, and our landlord, Walt Breidinger of Paragon Investments. If you'd like to find out more about leasing space in this historic building, please give Walt a call, 219-462-5821. I'd like to thank them for their generous support. Thanks to Greg Kovach, WVLP Station Manager, and Tom Maloney, Vice President, Radio Operations for Lakeshore Public Radio. Art in the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant through South Shore Arts and is part of the National Endowment for the Arts. If you're interested in being a guest or sending us information about your arts, arts-related event or exhibit, please email us at artontheairwvlp at gmail.com. That's artontheairwvlp at gmail.com. Our program, along with all of our programs, are streaming live at wvlp.org. Art on the Air is rebroadcast on Monday at 5 p.m. Our entire show archive can be heard at our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That's breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com slash AOTA. You'll also find our detailed arts calendar at breck.com slash AOTA. Our shows are carried by Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, every Sunday at 7 p.m., and you can hear them at lakeshorepublicradio.org. And make sure to like us on our Facebook page, Art on the Air, WVLP. Art on the Air is always looking for financial support. We'd like to thank our current supporters. If you're looking to support Art on the Air and, of course, the WVLP station, we'd be happy to become part of the WVLP family anytime. Esther and I especially would invite you to become an underwriter of this program in particular. We have information on our website at breck.com AOTA. You can find out support information there or at wvlp.org support. We have underwriter levels at various levels. You can support us. We'll mention you during our show and throughout the WVLP broadcast day. You know, we encourage you to uh, become part of a supporter because we are supported by our listeners. So don't just be a WVLP and Art on the Air listener. Become a supporter or underwriter in whatever amount you're able to do so so we continue to bring you great content and this great local programming. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. And you'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air and the whole WVLP family. Join the WVLP family today. And we welcome to Art in the Air Spotlight, Wendy Marciniak, who is president and CEO of the Chesterton Art Center, of course, located in Chesterton. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Thank you. Thanks so Aloha. much for having me. Well, how Chesterton Art Center is doing uh, now that we're coming into summer and all the way into fall, especially with uh, COVID-19 and how that's affecting you? Well, just like the rest of the world, we kind of grounded to a halt in the middle of March and Sadly, along with this has come the fact that we do need to cancel the Chesterton Art Fair. So it's been canceled, and we're really looking forward to next year. 
But on on a happier note, we are planning to reopen very soon. Uh, we will have an opening closing reception on Saturday, June 27th, our regular hours from 10 to 2, and we're celebrating the work of Jason Gast in our front gallery. So we'll have sort of a little closing section. And if you'd like to see his work, you can view it on our website at www.chestertonart.com. And then we will be closed for a week after that and reopen to the public again on Monday, July 6th. And we'll be following the guidelines issued by the governor of the state of Indiana. We will ask you to please wear a mask when you visit, and we will have some available if you have forgotten yours. And we will have hand sanitizer available to you and be very careful um, to periodically wipe down commonly touched items. We want everyone to be as safe as possible, but we're so excited to be reopening, and we'll be happy to see you. We can't wait. And on that note, in July, we will be featuring the work of Jenny Takex. And Jenny paints and oils and does beautiful dunescapes and rural sort of landscapes. And so we're really, really excited to have her in the gallery in the month of July. And we will probably have a middle-of-the-month or closing reception to honor her and her work. And there will be more on that coming up in the future. And with all the changes that have happened, um, we have taken our children's art education summer camps online. And so basically the way it works is that we have supplies that parents can swing by and pick up a couple days before the class. And the classes run from Monday through Thursday. There's an early session for younger children and an afternoon session for older children. This week, the kids are studying our lakeshore. Next week, it will be all about local animals. And then the last week will be themed on fairy tale magic. So think Harry Potter, that kind of thing. And then, How fun. Yeah, yeah, very exciting. Kids love Harry Potter, and so do adults. So there will be lots of fun activities. And, and you have an artist meetup tomorrow, don't you? Is that still a virtual one? Yes, we are doing the Artist's Way handbook. I don't know if you're familiar with that, Julia Cameron. It's it's sort of, it's a book, but it's a course too, sort of. So Deb Armstrong has been um, facilitating that group, and it's free. And you can jump on any time, and you can register for that on Eventbrite. Uh, so those are some of the things coming up. Um, in August, we'll be featuring the work of Robert Hoffman, uh, who has passed away, but um, his wife, Wilma, and his family have lots and lots of Bob's work in oil, pastel, um, and he taught workshops in the dunes for the Chesterton Art Center for years. So it's, it's a lovely, lovely retrospective of his work. You know, Wendy, looking down the road, and I know this as a way of disclosure being on the board, uh, also the gala is going to be postponed. Yes, unfortunately, we felt that it was in the best interest to just postpone the gala and um, just plan it bigger and better for next year. Very good. Wendy, was it a consideration to do the Chesterton Art Fair virtually, you like know, some of the other festivals have been doing? You know, we thought about that, but because our art fair came up so quickly, it was scheduled for August 1st and 2nd this year. 
and we were waiting and, you know, it's been day to day with COVID on where the state is at and, and about large group gatherings and there were some, um, new insurance issues that would have needed to be covered and and so we did have to physically cancel it and we just didn't really have enough lead time to get anything any sort of a virtual art fair online however we had been featuring the work of our early bird applicants um for the past couple months on our chesterton art fair webpage so those artists got some exposure but the other ones just hadn't been juried in yet so you know, hopefully we'll have something in place in the future if, if you know. Yes, if, if even just the list of who is going to be in it. So if somebody wanted to support them, they could Absolutely. find them. Absolutely. Yeah, unfortunately this year we hadn't even gotten to the jurying part. That would have been oh. a, so it was kind of hard to say who exactly was going to be in the fair. Well, Wendy, I think that's all we have time for the spotlight. Thanks for coming on Art of the Year. Uh, let us know what's going on at Chesterton Art Center. That's ChesterdenArt.com to find out all about classes and what's going on there. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you so much. You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. And we'd like to welcome to Art in the Air, John B. Boss. He's a Chicago native. He's appeared in over 200 regional productions on stages throughout Chicago and the surrounding suburbs. He's a veteran performer, no stranger to Indiana audiences, Bear Creek Farms, Theater at the Center, Theater for Young Audiences, Fort Wayne Civic Theater, Dune Summer Theater, Citadel Theater, and numerous North American and UK tours, television and commercials. John, please, welcome to the show and good to hook up with you again. Hi, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Happy COVID-19. <laughs> no kidding. Hey, we'd like to just, for our audience, get a little bit of history about uh, where your origin story is, how you got from where you were to where you are now. Well, uh, I guess you might say maybe in eighth grade, uh, I had a teacher that noticed that my voice was sticking out when we were singing the national anthem, and she said, you should you should be acting. So I uh, got into the chorus in eighth grade, and in high school, um, I was a class actor, and I did a bunch of different shows and uh, different choruses and with the Thespian Society, and I worked with some uh, really wonderful mentors in high school that kind of gave me the tools that I needed to go out there and do it. So I, with regret, I did not go to a college or university. I went uh, right into the acting field right out of high school. You know, sometimes I think that, you know, and this is the advice I've given John to some people, but I says, you know, the college degree doesn't mean that much. It gives you training and things like that. But if you do the training, I said, a lot of times that, co- you know, and you know that working with some directors, they don't care that you have a BFA or an MFA in acting from somewhere. They want to see what you do in that uh, audition in the next couple minutes. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't say don't go to school because you do get some good learning, but you don't learn the business of performing. You don't learn that. You just learn how to do, you know, 16 bars and monologues and, um, you know, dive into scripts and whatnot. But I don't think it really teaches you the business and how to be resourceful and, and get out there and make your own work. Right. I, I think you're right. They, they don't realize that it's show business and uh, you're, they have to learn the business aspect. And you're, I, I've done, I'm not downing training. I'm just saying whatever happens, as long as you keep your voice training and other, everything up, that's the important part. So tell us a little bit about the history of uh, some of the shows you've done, uh, some of the theater groups. Uh, you know, we're obviously connected from Theater at the Center and Theater for Young Audiences way back in the 90s. Yeah, I mean, as I get older, I try to find roles that I've done before because the memory bank, (laughs) 
you know, the memory doesn't doesn't serve my, me so well. So I've done uh, eight different productions of uh, La Caja Foe, five different productions of uh, Annie, six different productions of The Producers, numerous productions of Sound of Music, The Fantastics, a lot of the classics. So I, I just try and find the shows that I've done before. And occasionally I'll jump in and, and, and do something that I've never done before to, to stretch myself. So a couple of years ago, I did the Chicago regional premiere of a show called Bright Star. And it was a wonderful experience working in the actual city of Chicago and, and getting, you know, uh, critical uh, acclaim and stuff. It was it was nice to be able to, you know, kind of dig in and do something that I had never seen or done before. I just auditioned for it actually via tape and um, was invited to call back and I, I won one of the principal roles. So, How yeah, I've, just, I've done all the old classics. I'm an old war horse. I'm 60 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, how far in advance is it typical to have to prepare for an audition? I looked at your online audition for A Christmas Carol, and you had a beard. So do you have time then generally to prepare for an audition to be as close to in character as you can? Or Well, I think with um, with auditions, the only show that I really auditioned for on online recently was that Christmas Carol. It kind of scares me that you creeped at me and found that audition. <laughs> but because uh, <laughs> um, I figured, you know, by November, December, we should be somewhat back to a new normal. So I thought, yeah, I'll go ahead and audition for that, you know. So I, you know, I presented my, my materials and the actual audition is in August. I wanted to put my hat in the ring and, you know. Yeah, um, no, no. I was actually more referring to your in-person auditions. Like, do you typically have enough time then to, um, cause I have a lot of friends who are actors and, Sometimes they do try to be as close to the character that they're auditioning for when they go into the audition. So I'm wondering. I think for I think for theater, you want to audition for something that would be appropriate. Well, not necessarily from the show, but something that would be appropriate for the show. And as far as like costuming and makeup, that type of thing, suggest the character, but don't don't come in in full garb unless you're auditioning for, say, a cross-dressing role or something and you want to show up in drag. Um, I wouldn't say dress for an audition. Just dress, dress to impress. It's a, it's a, it's an, it's a, uh, it's a work interview is what it is. It really is. It just happens to have music or words from a text, but it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's an interview. It's an interview. So come dressed in business, you know, um, business casual. Dress professionally. Don't look like you rolled out of bed. <laughs> John, do you, do you have a favorite role that you, uh, uh like to do? Yeah, I think maybe my, I have a couple. I mean, I really, I love the layers of uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. And I was fortunate uh, four years ago to do the most recent national tour of Mel Brooks, the producers, as Roger Debris. And I really do enjoy uh, playing Roger Debris. That's a fun role to play because <laughs> Mel Brooks is a comic genius. It's probably the funniest musical theater piece ever written is uh, the producer's. So uh, I, I enjoy that role, and I love Don Quixote and Mandela Mancha. There's a lot of I've gotten I've, I've been blessed to be able to play most of the roles that uh, I want to play. <laughs> Is there a role that you haven't played that you'd like to play? Um, I'd like to do Edna in Hairspray, but every time I audition for it, you know they they go with the guy that's uh, maybe a little beefier than I am. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I mean, you, you can do a lot with costuming and whatnot, but uh, I, I would like to play Edna, and I would like to play King George in uh, Hamilton. Oh, yeah, that'd be an excellent uh, role for you. So, uh, Now, when you're not doing theater, you, you do a bunch of other things in film, television, and things like this. Tell us a little bit about some of those things. Listed in in Chicago and a few other uh, regional states as a on camera actor. So um, I do commercials. I do uh, industrial film uh, using a technique that's called ear prompter, um, which is uh, basically it's a prompting device that you use your own voice. You hear something and then you repeat it. And the idea is to make it look like you're casually just talking off the cuff when in reality you've got this foreign object in your ear. So I do that. Um, I do a lot of independent film, usually like uh, I do a lot of like horror films. Sometimes I'll play like the guy next door, character actor, quirky character. Um, I do a lot of Hollywood lookalike stuff. I do a lot of the Johnny Depp characters uh, at corporate parties and whatnot. Yeah, so and then I, I also am a brand ambassador, so I do a lot of, uh, I get bullet points, and then I go out and I talk to the people, whether it be at a grocery store or on Michigan Avenue or... But it's it's been it's been a struggle because uh, right now that stuff is all kind of washed up. So now I, I'm I'm doing uh, grocery shopping, delivering, and restaurant delivery to to make ends meet until we get out of this pandemic. I know I, I've seen that you're doing like Uber Eats and things like that uh, to kind of fill in the time now that there a lot of those things are filled up. Yeah, and and I'm also using this as an opportunity as an actor to uh, not sit dormant. Um, I'm investing in in uh, sound studio and on camera lighting and equipment. Uh, I'm doing a lot of uh, workshops um, free of charge online. I'm taking a voiceover a gymnasium. I'm taking a a ear prompter, a coaching. Just trying to put it all together and do it out of my tiny apartment. <laughs> Green screen will be in next week. <laughs> I know the feeling. Well, you know, I have a photo studio here in my uh, home in Chesterton, and, a court, and I used to have a recording studio. I drug out a bunch of that equipment since we no longer do the show live at the uh, station. This is how we've been doing them. So now I have a whole little area set aside to do the show. Tell us maybe a little bit how uh, the pandemic is affecting you, like personally. We know like work-wise, but what, are you, what else are you doing and how dealing with that? I'm keeping myself busy. Um, I'm actually busier than I've ever been, um, which is great. Um, I'm making sure that I'm uh, always leaving the house with my mask. I'm uh, social distancing. I'm trying to be supportive of... Uh, yeah, I think as as an actor, what we're having to do is kind of reformulate, rebrand ourselves, kind of look through a different lens, as it were, because... Things are changing with this uh, COVID-19. So what I'm doing is I'm taking a lot of uh, uh, workshops, and they're actually free of charge now. Now, you said you were going to do workshops, or uh, you have a, a web presence set up for that yet? Are you getting ready for that, and what will that be? Oh, well, I'm I'm just basically doing a Zoom Zoom workshops uh, as an actor. I'm not I'm not teaching. No, I'm okay. I'm, you're honing, taking... I'm honing my skills as an actor so that when things open up, uh, I'll be ready to, to get out there and, and do it. So I've been taking ear prompter coaching, um, voiceover coaching. Um, I just uh, purchased a microphone, a high quality microphone. I've got the sound, uh, the sound, the cushion, you know, the sound cushions. So because oh, yeah. I, I live right off of a very busy street. So 
Um, I've got what I need to do to be able to do voiceovers and that type of thing. I'm Very good. Plug in microphones. So, John, has there been any spending a lot of time on Zoom? <laughs> yeah, we all have. John, has there been any talk to do any theater outside? Well, you know, it's funny you ask that. Just yesterday, I attended my first live theater performance outdoors. And what it was was a musical review that was done in a uh, theater parking lot with room for about 25 cars. The cars were separated by an empty car parking spot. You're required to stay in your car, and the, the actors were mic with FM wireless microphones that were fed through the cars on a radio station. And it oh, was clear fabulous. as a bell. It was a wonderful performance. Everybody was in great voice. Um, social distance was observed. There was one or two people on stage at a time. It was basically a musical review. Um, the piano was pre-recorded, and everything was pumped like like a drive-in. It was called Drive-In Cabaret, and it was fabulous. And the theater companies should be able to raise a lot of money, and I think a lot of theaters should uh, consider that. If you've got a big parking lot, do a drive-through cabaret. Oh, my God, it was wonderful. The sound was impeccable. The sound was fabulous. And we're just, like, desperate for that connection again. That's a wonderful solution. Yeah, and you know what What people did? They applauded it as well. As well. They had to stay in the car. You couldn't really hear the applause, but they would beat their horns. Yeah. That was the applause. It was It was so fun. I just. It was so wonderful to see former castmates uh, from uh, a theater company they had worked for uh, out in the suburbs. And right before the pandemic, I got to squeeze in two shows and two commercials. <laughs> and then... And then then everything went belly up. <laughs> John, looking forward, how do you think uh, our post-pandemic uh, thing is going to influence like theater and live performance in your own mind? Well, um, uh, I know a theater company that's going to be opening in the fall, and they have 150 seats, and they're going to reduce their sitting to 50. The um, uh, city of Chicago and the government and um, the Actors Union have all you know, kind of come up with guidelines uh, for post-pandemic for doing live performances, and uh, everybody's safety is going to be first and foremost. As you know. it should be, really. It's not going to be what it, what it was. There's not going to be any standing room only. There's not going to be any full houses. No. And Every house has to be reduced, at, at least for probably a year. Yeah, Yeah, I know at Broadway, I mean, because like original shows on Broadway, that's really tough because they can barely meet if they fill the houses, especially on musicals. Uh, to pay the fare, they, they actually gamble on the fact that the show will go on tour to make money on it. So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, it's uh, it's really it's really a different different world that we're living in. So I'm trying to be resourceful and and create work out of my home or out of my car. <laughs> <laughs> now you have a whole range of characters that you do, uh, uh, like Swami, Ozzy Osbourne, Father Time, and everything, but. One of your favorites is Austin Powers. Can you give us a little sample of Austin Powers for our uh, audience? Oh, yeah, baby, you know it. Now, don't worry, I'll, I, won't, I won't fight hard. Yeah, baby, yeah! Excellent. <laughs> and uh, uh, hopefully you can put together like a little cabaret of John Boss uh, uh, a number sometimes and maybe do a one-man show. Have you ever thought about that? Oh, uh, you know, I have, but the, you know, the, the time that it would consume, and there's, and there's just, there's just no money in it. You know, I mean, I might do it, but uh, yeah, 
<laughs> Leave it to the youngsters, you know. <laughs> there you go. What is a uh, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but what's the advice you might give to uh, uh, an aspiring actor, like maybe in high school age, they're doing you know, shows and everything like that. What would you give them advice? And again, we did touch on that a little bit, but maybe a little bit more from your uh, long perspective there. I would say, listen, always listen, 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 listen. Um, listen to your directors, listen to your other castmates, listen to the dialogue that precedes yours. We're not just waiting our turn to say our line. Listen and react and be in the moment when you're on stage. And as far as take, being a, doing a career in acting is see as much as you can, you know, just, just, just go out and, and usher, you know, intern, just be part of that community and keep the excitement and just, uh, Treat it like a business. It's a business. It is a business. Keep your, you know, keep your nose clean. You never know the the uh, the receptionist of today could be the director of tomorrow. So that's so true. Just always be professional. Always be professional. Prepared. Be prepared and be on time. By golly, <laughs> I know being on time. And one thing I always told our students: never, never lie on a resume. Did you also um, work backstage? And if you did, have you contributed your talents that way, you know, in your professional career at all? I mean, is there a let's get the stage together kind of? Well, I've always been a a team player. So uh, even if I'm at an equity theater, um, I've always, you know, provided uh, some of my own wardrobe if I've got it. You know, I've always volunteered to move uh, a set piece if it's, you know, um, if, if you know, if needed for a transition, and there isn't a crew per se. Well, that's the that's the best part about theater. Yeah, it is. It really is. So I, in high school, I I was a late bloomer, so I didn't get roles until I was, uh, you know, a sophomore, junior in high school, because um, I was just just a tiny little guy and trying to find my way, you know, and then I was, a le- and then I grew up and then I got leads and that was great, you know, <laughs> but um, I was, I was part of the, uh, the usher club and I was part of the clown club and um, stage managing when I was in high school. Did you start practicing your accents in high school or did that happen afterwards? I'm you know, I've always, I've always loved cartoons and I've always loved the old movies and, I I just I would just mimic, you know, just mimic these different voices that I heard, and uh, I love doing different dialects. I haven't done a lot of studying, but just you know, just from hearing it all the time, you know, I've gotten an opportunity to work with some wonderful dialect coaches because I go to England every summer for the last eight years, uh, and we have a dialect coach um, that that teaches us the uh, the British dialect, the, the proper uh, RP, as it were, um, dialect. And, and so how England. does that translate to singing? Like when you have an accent in the in the play and then you still well, have to you, sing? Well, you, you need to keep it in your singing, but you also need to sing properly so you don't want to cut yourself off, but you don't want to all of a sudden be this guy from Chicago, you know, singing while uh, everybody else is, you know, while you're speaking British, you know. So you have to you have to kind of have the flavor and the essence of the dialect while you're singing. That's very important to be consistent. But you have to sing properly. And a lot of dialects close off your breathing in your mouth, you know, your your sounds. So you, you do need to uh take to have that word flavor. carefully. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, you notice when people are singing, you don't notice the accent sometimes as much and everything. Uh, I do in certain words, though. That's why I thought it was sort of a pick and choose where it is. Because a lot yeah, of Yeah, I think the important of, one. Yeah. The important, yeah, especially if you're doing like British or something. Yeah, you need to definitely. But yeah, that, that's an interesting uh, question. Yeah, I've noticed a lot of shows where people are speaking lovely dialects and they start singing them and they go, where, where's the dialect go? <laughs> <laughs> John, do you have yeah. any favorite theaters or directors you've worked with over the years? Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, that's a loaded question. <laughs> I know, that I was going to say, that's an oops question. I, I mean, I really enjoyed the the directors that I got to work with, uh, you know, in New York for the tour. Um, uh, wow. That's, <laughs> I worked with so many directors. Oh my goodness. Well, it's let's put it great. this way. Then how about uh, any favorite venues you've been in? Well, I mean, I, I, I love the, the space at theater, the center. I mean, it's beautiful. I, I, you know, I, I do enjoy that space. Um, I played some absolutely stunning venues when I toured the country doing, uh, Mel Brooks, the producers. I, I, Gorgeous theaters, just big, beautiful theaters and some small, intimate theaters. Some of the theaters uh, throughout the UK are, are are beautiful, and there's some nice little intimate theaters, too. So, I mean, I played everything from a flatbed truck to a 3,500-seat house. <laughs> so when you're in another town, of course, you figure you're going to socialize with your castmates because you're in an unfamiliar town, but are there opportunities where... Um, you've met audience members and, and, or maybe, maybe there are friends of, of your castmates. So what is like a Well, I mean, if you do, if you do a regional, well, I, I've had some wonderful experiences like that. I've done some regional uh, theater in some towns that were not part of the tour. Like I did uh, a regional run of, um, of Annie in Breckenridge, Colorado. And that's a big tourist town. And it's yes. kind of a, it's, a, it's a small town actually. So, you know, on my day off, I'll be roaming, uh, you know, the town, uh, getting some ice cream, and I'll be stopped on the street. That's kind of fun. Uh, I've worked at Little Theater on the Square, uh, which is uh, out in Sullivan, Illinois, which is a very tiny little town, and everybody in town knows that theater. And, you know, so if you're walking around town, you'll, you know, you'll stop for a photo op or whatever. So it's nice. And oh, when you're on sweet. tour, you know, when you're on national tour, you know, you're going to run into um, some of the cast members will maybe play a town or a town that's close by, and a parent will show up to the show with, uh, you know, with goodies, which is kind of fun, kind of get that feeling of home. Sometimes you might even get an opportunity to go into one of your cast members' homes while you're on tour because they're from out of state, so you'll get that kind of Mom and pop sort of a feeling, which is well, great. Kind of you kind of need the, that when you're living out of a suitcase, you know. Yeah, it balances <laughs> the whole experience. Hey, John, very briefly. It really we, does. We only have about we a We do a lot of walking. <laughs> oh, my God. I do so much walking. When, I, when I'm out of town, I walk. And I walk by myself. I just walk. I love to walk. We have just about a minute left, but uh, why don't you briefly describe going on a national tour for our audience so they understand what that is. Well, you, you, um, generally you're going to audition in New York, um, and you're going to have a, probably a three or four day callback process before you even, um, audition in front of the actual director. And then hopefully you'll get cast. And then you rehearse for a very short, full time, eight hours a day, three weeks. You'll open the show, uh, in a large venue close to New York City. You have to pack. You have to pack light. You're responsible for your own luggage. No one's going to take your luggage for you. You got to, 
you know, take care of your luggage. You've got to learn how to eat properly. You've got to keep up your exercise. And you have to keep with the pulse of what's going on in your hometown so that you hopefully will have a work opportunity uh, when you get back from tour. So it's uh, a lot of one-offs. One day, sometimes you can sit, you know, sit down for uh, two weeks in a venue, but there's a lot of just one day, one theater, one hotel. Sometimes you don't even make it to your hotel until after the show. So it's uh, it can be challenging, but um, it's wonderful. I, I'm I'm ready to go back on the road. <laughs> Do you want to give your website if anybody wants to look at? Oh sure. Well, you can you can find me on uh, on Facebook, uh, John B. Boss, B. B's and Boy O S S, and I have a a very rudimentary uh, website, uh, johnboss.com. Very good. Well, John, we appreciate you coming on Art in the Air, telling, sharing your experience as an actor and everything like that. It was great for me personally to reconnect with you after all these years. Again, again that's John B. Boss, a Chicago native, uh, but seen throughout the area. Thanks for being on Art in the Air, John. It is my Thank pleasure. You. Have a great day. Thank you, John. You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. We'd like to welcome to Art on the Air, Dan Schaff. Uh, we're going to talk about the 6th Annual uh, Michigan City Video Fest, and also about his musical background growing up in Michigan City. Dan, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. Aloha. Well, what I'd like to first talk is find out a little bit about you, Dan, like uh, where you grew up, uh, how you got from where you were to where you are now, and a little bit of the journey along the way. I grew up in Michigan City, and I, I had, you know, the, I was at St. Mary's grade school and high school, and then it was time to go to college, and I decided I wanted to go down to Purdue, West Lafayette. And I started out actually in electrical engineering, but for a variety of reasons, I switched over to uh, English literature and graduated with a BA in that. And then how'd you get to Indianapolis? How, what took you there? Well, actually, it was work. I mean, you know, I, um, I was married by that time, and I needed a job. I had some uh, engineering experience, so I went to work for an engineering firm down there. And then, actually, the way I've made money for the you know, rest of my life... <laughs> has been as an engineer, and then I got into computer engineering for a while. I worked for Johnson Controls and Zenith Data Systems and places like that uh, doing design work. Was that electrical engineering you were doing also, or...? Yeah, it's a path that we share. I was going to. I started out doing electrical engineering, and uh, got to my first uh, math class. Oh, uh, yeah, crazy! And I said, you know, this is not for me. And that's when I switched to communication, primarily broadcasting. But then my entire life, I did theater. So, so you got to Indianapolis, and then what brought you back to Michigan City? Well, again, um, we were having our our two children. I really missed Lake Michigan. It was like a. Uh, it oriented your my life. You know, I knew which direction north was because there was a lake down in Indianapolis. It was just <laughs> it was just this big blob down there. So anyway, we came back uh, mainly because of the lake. Yeah, it's a big draw. Like we, you know, a lot of people that live here don't appreciate what we have here. Oh yeah, until they get away from it. So tell us a little bit about um, now. You you are really self taught in both uh, music, theater, and things like that. Tell us a little bit about that journey there. Well, my my father uh, was a pretty good amateur pianist, so we always had a piano in the house. And I was tinkering, tinkering on the keys, you know, at a pretty early age, and I I started figuring things out about music. And I was writing music in like grade school, but it wasn't very good. Uh, and actually, it wasn't until college that I started writing what I thought was uh, good music. But and I and I also I mean, I mean I have this theory, at least for me, that uh, you have to work on the edge of your competency, if you know what I mean. Right. Uh, if you're comfortable, then it's you're probably not 
doing something that's worth doing. <laughs> right, because it becomes predictable. Right. So, so not being trained, I actually had a lot of, um, you know, I was always on the edge of competency and uh, worked my way through that. And I, I think came up with some creative stuff on the way. So. I see one of the first things that you did back in 2000 was an original score for Fritz Lang's uh, Metropolis. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, actually, um, I don't know if you know, uh, the Vickers Theater up in Three Oaks, Michigan. Right. Um, had for several years a, a silent film festival, and they brought in local composers and, and performers, and I was one of them, uh, and I presented my score for Metropolis. Well, what made you pick Metropolis? I mean, I remember you personally saying, you know, you watched the movie and said, I can do better than that. So, yeah, well... So where do you start with that when you say, I could do better than that? <laughs> well, uh, I, I, the incident was that I, I knew of Metropolis. I knew of its reputation, but I'd never seen it. So I put it... This is back when you had VCR cassette tapes. I, I recorded it late at night off of a, a Chicago station to watch it in the morning. And instead of having uh, a good score with the film, they had uh, what was essentially Laurel and Hardy music. So obviously you can do better than that for Metropolis. And so I sat down and scored out the uh, film off the videotape. Now, you've all, some of the theaters that you've worked with uh, over the years in this area, tell us about that. I, uh, I think Dunes and... Well, yeah, um, for quite a few years I was with uh, the Dunes Arts... Uh, Summer Theater, actually their children's theater, when Laura, Nora McAlvey was running it. And um, I just, it was a, a fortunate situation. I said, I want to write music for, for you know, your, your group. And she didn't know if I could or couldn't. But anyway, uh, she said, yeah, go ahead and do it. And uh, that's when I learned or came up with a lot of uh, compositional techniques that I'm still using. And, and you're primarily a uh, pianist as your instrument? Well, I, I used to, um, and guitar, but it's been years since I played publicly. But I, I used, yeah, a keyboard uh, was probably my primary musical instrument. Yeah. Right. I've seen a lot of the things. Let's. I, I think our interest, audience might be interested in uh, one of the examples. Uh, there's the one called uh, Roxanne's Kiss, the theme from. Tell, set, us, set that up for us, what that's about and everything. Uh, well, Roxanne's Kiss... Um, it, it's based on Cyrano de Bergerac, uh, that play, and um, I saw it, a production of the play, and I was, you know, it's a stunning play, and I guess it's it's one another another one of these circumstances where you're um, you're beyond your competency, so it was, so I I took it as a challenge to turn it into what I call a pop opera. I mean, it's not heavy, you know, it's not Wagnerian or anything. Um, it's it's light. Fairly light music, so I wrote that, and um, and then I had a production of it. <laughs> Very good. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we go ahead and listen to that? Here is Roxanne's Kiss theme.
That was Roxanne's kiss theme uh, and everything. Well, uh, that was an interesting. Very good. Thank you. So uh, tell us about some of the other uh, pieces you have done. Uh, uh, and uh, well, I think one of them we're going to look at is uh, coming up with this uh, uh, Bell Guinness. It's a uh, Christmas. Tell us so that was production was supposed to go into production in April, but obviously because uh, COVID-19 didn't do that. Right. Um, yeah, actually, I got a, a small grant from... Uh, a family in Indianapolis to do a production of it, and I don't know what the status of the grant is, but um, yeah, we were going to go ahead and, and make some production out of it, but like you said, yeah, the, the virus stuff goofed every, everything. How far did you, how far is it? How far is what? How far is Selgunis in the works? Well, I, it's it's doable right now, but like um <clears throat> Um, any theater piece, you know, the first time you do it, it's rough, and it, it takes time to work it up to, uh, you know, usable or, or serviceable uh, style. So do you workshop your uh, shows when you do that? I mean, Yeah, you... I, I brought Bell Dennis into Chicago, uh, and I had uh, at a Porchlight Theater, and we, we had workshopped it there a bit. And that's with Michael Weber? No. Um, uh, Sh- Cheryl Kuhn. Okay. And you workshopped it there and kind of worked out some of them. So you're still kind of workshopping it as as getting right. ready for production. Well, yeah, one one of the you know I said in production in April, what it really was going to be was going to be some table readings, um, working with um, the actors, and again getting it up to speed and uh, you know ironing it out and making it work. So tell us a little bit about the uh, uh, nature of the show, Bell Gunnis. Bell Gunnis. Well. I don't know if you know who Belle Gunness was, but she was a resident of Laporte um, in the 1905 or so, 06. And she was, um, she put out Lonely Hearts letters to newspapers and invited men to come stay with her. And she would make sure they brought their cash with them. And she would then murder them. And it was discovered there were like seven or eight, nine graves in her garden. Uh, when it all came to light, so it's it, it's again. I guess it's in one of these areas where I, if I'm uncomfortable with it, <laughs> but um, it's a place to be creative when you're you know again you're not quite sure what's working and what isn't. So kind of like a local version of arsenic and old lace. Well, uh, not as pleasant as that, <laughs> right? <laughs> because she went on. She actually she murdered her children. Uh, it, it was and it's sort of an. Un, it's unsolved whether she, well, there was a fire. She knew that the law was coming to get her. And one night her her house burned down and she disappeared. And nobody's sure if she burned in the house or whether she left town, you know, before the house burned down. So, And I leave that ambiguous in the, in the show, too. Now, did you write the, uh, you, you write only the score? Did someone else write the libretto? No, I. Okay, so you're everything on that. Well, we want to hear a sample from that. Now, there's a song called Christmas Pass. Set that up for us. Okay, well, um, the, start, the show starts out 
with Belle immigrating, she comes from Norway, and there's a little scene where she's in line with all the other immigrants, and she's thinking about what she's left behind in Norway, and she sings this song called uh, Christmas Past. And let's take a listen to that right now. Christmases long ago All safe and warm I feel it safe from our harm I need it They remind me They remind me Something so real and important disappears so completely. I look outside, it's snowing, flakes tumble down, they're blowing, they remind me of Christmases of the past. All safe and warm, I feel it safe from all harm, I need it, that's how they were. And that's Christmas Pass from Bel Gannis uh, from Dan Schaffen. Uh, kind of a interesting opera about the murder musical. <laughs> yeah, the serial murder musical. Um, I want to say congratulations, Dan, on the upcoming sixth year of the Michigan City Music Fest. Can you update us on where that's at and whether you've received submissions yet? Um, well, I just started putting out publicity about it, so I haven't received anything. I have, I've gotten queries about it, but... Um, I mean, of course, again, the big issue is the viral situation. And I'm looking at exploring, um, you know, streaming streaming it somehow. I don't want it to be, like, online and, you know, always available on, uh, on demand. 
Uh, I'd rather have it be a single event. Uh, either you watch it or you don't. <laughs> um, so I'm looking at the formats for and, and the way other people are doing these sort of things, too. It's, it's obviously not the preferred way to show something, but uh, anyway, that's where it is right now. I know, because being in the audience of them is so interesting because, yeah, yeah you have all the audience reaction, which every year that I participated in it, you know, there was always a lot of audience participation. Right, and it's good. Um, quite often the filmmakers come along and they get to meet the audience, and uh, so it's, it's a nice social thing going on there. So Now, this is the sixth annual one, as I understand it? Right, number, number six. Okay, and just right now, if someone is a video entrepreneur out there that has something, where would they submit their work and what formats do they have to do that in? Okay, um, well, you can find all the information you need at uh, mcvideofest.com, and there's an entry form there. As far as formats, um, you know, we're pretty open. Right now, it, it should be viewable on the web right now either on Vimeo or YouTube or someplace like that. But we do accept submissions as well. And you do both a short and a long. Well, um, it depends on what we get. I, I much prefer the short ones because then, you know, if, if somebody's bored with something, uh, all they have to wait is, you know, two or three minutes and they'll be on to something new. But if we get a lot of long, one year we got a lot of long pieces. So I separated those out and we showed the long videos as a separate event. For a separate time. So. What What do you define as short versus long? Pardon me? What do you uh, define as short versus long in terms of the oh, video? well, <laughs> I say five minutes. Okay, that's your video short, and then long is anything longer than five minutes. Yeah, well, but, but you know, it's, I mean, it's not a hard and fast rule. It's a judgment uh, when we're putting together the program. Uh, the other thing is, um, you know, we're open to all, you know, documentaries, music videos, commercials, Trailers to films, any any video artifact is um, you know is usable. So and that's what makes it so interesting because the the programs are so varied and there's and you have all of that mixed in, which which makes it. I mean, as a viewer, made it so much fun. Right, and and quite often the, the videos comment on each other. I mean, somebody will take one stand on something or have one vision, and then you put a different vision next to that. You create a theme. A whole program out of those contrasts. Loved meeting the artists who, right. who yes, who, who made them. Is there any age requirement uh, on it, uh, or do you have them in age categories? No. So everyone's competing. Is there any like an award thing for it? Do you reckon? No, or it's just a, um, it's just a sharing. I, I, I don't like that because I, I don't know how you judge something. So, but, but the main well, the other thing I wanted to say about it is that it's it's mainly for local video makers. Uh, you know, people in Chicago and New York, LA, LA have forums and, and ways of presenting their materials, but this is mainly for local people, which, I, which by which I mean, like the region in Michigan City over to South Bend, New Buffalo. And what's the deadline for submission for uh, videos? Uh, you got me there. I, I think I think you said September seventeenth. Usually, um, I think September fifteenth or so. Yeah, September seventeenth is what I show, and then uh, if it's uh, online, uh, at least by the thirtieth, and they have to fill out the form. But if it has to come to you physically, I think it's the seventeenth, if I remember right, correctly. Right. So, uh, and what kind of videos have you had in the past? Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, gee, we've had everything. <laughs> we had some. We've had dance. We've had a little bit of horror. We've had a bit of fantasy. I mean, it's like really, it just covers just everything. Yeah. Oh, a couple promos from Michigan City that were really interesting, and Kyron, he submitted. Yeah. I think, yeah. 
Your sister. We've had a few from your sister. That's true. <laughs> Is there any videos that you have done that uh, you put in the fest? Yeah. Uh, there's been a couple of... Uh, some of them from my shows, you know. And uh, actually, I did with Ralph Kipnis. We did some of his puppetry right, videos. Right, the wonderful world of puppetry. Pinocchio, didn't it? Wasn't it? Yeah, right. There's a. It was Pinocchio. Pinocchio Unbound is what right, I called right. it. Right, <laughs> right. Which was was actually um, it was a, a digital 3D animation uh, thing. But Ralph Kipnis did the voices and uh, some other voiceover people. Uh, one thing I wanted to get is we're kind of wrapping up here. How has the uh, pandemic uh, affected you in terms of what you do uh, on a daily basis, uh, positive, negative? And what are you looking forward to after we get out the other end of this thing? Yeah, actually, it's been pretty negative for me. Um, not, you know, no, no personal losses, but uh, it's been difficult to get motivated. I don't know if everybody's feeling that way. Uh, I was supposed to do a show, actually, at the Nest, uh, Dr. Mabuse, and I was... Three weeks out, we canceled it, and I, I was going to be working on that film up to three weeks. So I'm still, it's essentially frozen three weeks out from being finished. And I, I just, for, you know, I, I can't get back into it. And I don't know what the future's going to be. Um, I like a live audience. I don't like the video stuff, you know, the streaming stuff. But that's where we are right now. So. I know the Dr. Mabuse thing makes me so sad, especially as the... As everything's opening up, it still does not, I mean, it, it still doesn't make um, the performance that, the performance aspect of the nest viable yet because of the distancing. Yeah, we all have to be very, very careful. So one last time, uh, give us the uh, uh, where they can find out about the Video Fest there, Dan. Okay, it's uh, mcvideofest.com. Okay, and the deadlines are September 17th if you submit it like a, like on a disc or something, and I think September 30th, if that's correct, if they have uh, it online yeah, somewhere. It's pretty close to that, yeah. Okay, and uh, you know, the, any kind of variety of things like that. So any final thoughts, Dan? No, other than I appreciate you pushing this out. So I do. Dan is, like, so incredibly talented, and you made me love Metropolis in a way that I could have never with the, the first time I saw it with the score. So... I so appreciate what you do. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Well, we'd like to thank Dan Shaw for being here on Art in the Air. And again, mcvideofest.com. You can find out information about that for the 6th Annual Video Fest, which will be in October, and he's still figuring out exactly how it is. Dan, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Dan. And we'd like to thank our guest today for being on Art in the Air, which is heard every Friday at 11 a.m., rebroadcast Monday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. Your hosts are Larry Breckner and Esther Golden. Thanks again to Greg Kovach, WVLP Station Manager. Underwriters for Art in the Air are Valparaiso University's Brower Museum and Walt Brenninger of Paragon Investments. Also, Mary LeVan is our art patron supporter. Art in the Air is supported by the Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant and the National Endowment for the Arts. If you're interested in being a guest or send us information about your arts, arts-related event, exhibit, please email us at art. On the air, WVLP at gmail.com. That's art on the air, WVLP at gmail.com. See you right here next week, 103.1 FM and 89.1 FM, Art on the Air. Aloha, everyone. Have a splendid week. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know. I'm Larry, art on the air today, stay in the know with Larry.
and show the world your heart. Express yourself, you are, and show the world.